Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Brett Apley, and Technical Tim. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC 291, Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje for the BMF belt. And gentlemen, it's going down this Saturday night live at the Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City, Utah. You got Dustin Poirier, who holds the record for the most knockdowns in UFC lightweight history, the most knockouts in UFC lightweight history, as well as the most fight of the night bonuses in UFC history, taking on Justin Gaethje, who has the highest significant strike accuracy percentage in lightweight history, as well as I believe he holds the record for most consecutive bonuses in UFC lightweight history. So Brett Apley, it doesn't take a genius to see why they selected these two to fight for the, you know, kind of a novelty belt, but one that doesn't come around, you know, all the time here in these two yeah man I, I mean belt belt or not this is a great fight this is a great card at elevation uh really excited for it. it's been a while since we've talked so it's great to see you you're looking sharp technical tim on the podcast too this is this is a, a fun day but um yeah i, I think the, the you know the, the good thing about the main event here which we'll get into is we know what to expect this is going to be a banger it's going to be action all the way through and, and i can't wait for it and technical Tim, I mean, it doesn't just stop at Poirier versus Gaethje. They stacked the card. I mean, we got Jan uh, Blachowicz taking on Alex Pereira, who's making his 205-pound debut. We got the retirement fights of Tony Ferguson and Derek the Black Beast Lewis. Uh, it should be a violent evening in the SLC, Tim. Uh, are those actually their retirement fights? Or are you insinuating something? <laughs> uh, I, I've been uh, I've been tipped off that uh, this is the end for two legends. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good card, you know, um, UFC is UFC to me. Like I'm excited for every card pretty much, you know, just cause I look at it from like a betting perspective. So I'm always like interested, but it's good to feel like a fan again, you know, like the old school pay-per-views that were stacked and yeah, there's a great card, uh, top to bottom. So I'm very, very excited. Well, without further ado, gentlemen, let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got Dustin the Diamond Poirier. He's 29 and 7, taking on Justin Gaethje, who's 24 and 4. And currently, they got it. Dustin Poirier minus 150. The comeback on Justin Gaethje is plus 130. And, and guys, right off the bat, I'd normally start off by saying some stuff about how, you know, no guy that absorbs close to eight strikes per minute is going to beat. Dustin Poirier in a fight, but this isn't just any guy here in uh in Justin Gaethje. You know, this is a guy that can give it and take it too. And their first fight was absolutely incredible, man. Um, and it's interesting, Brett, because the first time you and I ever did a show together, I did your show, which was the night that UFC came to Atlanta, UFC 236, I believe, when Dustin fought Max for the interim belt. And I remember it was me, you, and Sun Tzu, and I was the one that came in there with the argument for Dustin Poirier. And the reason why I came in with the, the argument for him was because of the first Gaethje fight, because we know Max Holloway is the output king. We know that. I mean, you saw what he did at Calvin Cater, amongst others, right? And the reason that I thought that Dustin Poirier could beat him, not because he beat him in the past. I mean, I know you all remember that mounted triangle armbar you hit on it. He hit on him back in Holloway's debut, but obviously Holloway came a long way since then. But the reason that I picked Dustin Poirier against Max Holloway the second time when Holloway was already a UFC champion, he was already established, he was already the output king, was because you look at the numbers that Poirier put up in that Gaethje fight, 
And I mean, what needs to be said, he attempted 357 total strikes. So that lets you know that it's not a KO or bust situation. He's not just a heavy hitter. He's got the volume too. He strings his combinations nicely up to the head, down with the kicks as well. And he doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if it's a southpaw fighter like McGregor. He had zero issue chopping his calf. Or an orthodox fighter here in Gaethje, he's going to kick his legs as well. But the thing here is that Gaethje, one of the heaviest leg kickers in the history of the game, those leg kicks were starting to add up in their first fight. And we know that you match these guys up 10 times, it's going to be 100 times, it's going to be a different outcome every single time. But one thing we do know is that it's going to be violent, it's going to be exciting. Either guy could get knocked out or it could be a five-round war. So, I mean, how do you kind of see this one going down, Brad Apley? I mean, where do we even start with a fight like this? Well, it is interesting to think about it from that perspective. And and you say 100 different fights, 100 different outcomes. Like, I think watching the first fight back and trying to determine, like, is it going to play out in the same way? Because although it's going to end differently, I, I do kind of project the fight to play out in a very similar fashion. I mean, Gaith G, you, you mentioned the leg kicks. That's always been one of his biggest weapons. So he comes from a wrestling background, but despite landing his first takedown in his UFC career in his last fight, he's not going to go out there and wrestle. I mean, he still absorbs more strikes than he lands. Um, he's a brawler. He's willing to take damage. His, his path to victory is to fight a very high pace and, and either fight competitive rounds or land with damage. And Poirier in that fight and just in his career has seemingly been a much more technical boxer. He absorbs strikes, a, you know, a, a, a much shorter rate and his defense is better. And the, the head strike differential, especially, which I, I know Tim will probably talk about, but um, you know, Poirier outlanded Gaith G to the head, 142 to 56 in that first fight. Gaith G outlanded Poirier 50 to 11 with delay kicks I think it's going to, you know, I think it's going to play out in a similar fashion. Gacy's going to try and kick him in the legs. He's going to try and punch him in the face. They're going to go to war. Poirier is a little bit better defensively. I think Poirier is going to get ahead on the head strike numbers. And I also think as we've seen more since that first fight, Gacy ain't that good on the ground. Um, defensively, especially, I mean, he defends takedowns at 75%. And I don't know that we'll, we'll, pro we'll project Poirier to land takedowns at a high rate here, but if, Poirier ends up on top of Gaith G, which he might at some point in this fight. I, I could see him kind of dominating there and potentially, I mean, controlling the fight or finding a finish. So there are more path to victories for Poirier. I think he's a rightful favorite in this matchup. But on the other hand, when we project violent exchanges for potentially 25 minutes, that's that's an extremely high variance situation and so there has to be some level of ceiling on how high you cap poirier to win yeah and i mean tim is it as simple as i mean whose weapons are going to land effectively first because i mean these guys are so dangerous they're so potent and brett brought up how you know the d1 wrestler justin gaethje finally went for a takedown his last fight but i don't feel like he was doing that to kind of ride out you know around or anything like that i thought he was kind of trying to give Fiziev a different look and let him know, hey, I still do have that option in my back pocket despite only accruing five seconds of control. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Gabe G will wrestle for control here. And what, like, Dustin, I do think, has a grappling upside, and that doesn't mean I can think he can go out there and easily land takedowns. But he, I mean, there's a chance he could land a takedown, and that could be a lot. But 
just like the Charles Oliveira Gaethje fight, they were knocking each other down, and Charles knockdown meant a lot more because he was able to jump to the club and sub and get the back. Like if Poye and Gaethje both knock each other down, I think a knockdown for Poye is a lot more valuable because he could jump on like a, you know, just like in that fight. So that's something that kind of Brett touched on a little bit, but I think that's big. And also just like, yeah, like he talked about the head strikes, like Poye just hasn't been landed at the head since that fight. And he tripled up Gaethje. And I generally, like, I know the leg kicks, he had a lot of success in, in that, that first fight, but I also felt like the commentary was like only talking about that. Like I felt like in the second and third round, they were only talking about that. Meanwhile, like, Poe landed 150 head strikes and ended up knocking him out. And he was up on the cards unanimously in the first two rounds. You know, he ended up losing the third round. Gaethje landed one big shot. But I just feel like Poe had a lot of success to the head and probably will again. Gaethje has changed his style a lot. Like, he's not as in the pocket only throwing, you know, throwing hooks and throwing leg kicks. Like, he's a little more patient now. But I don't know if that's a good idea if he wants to be technical against Poe. I just feel like. Poye is a better boxer. I almost feel like Gaethje should be defensively minded to a degree, but also look to brawl at times because I feel like that's where he could maybe clip Dustin. I feel like if he's trying to be technical here, it's probably not a good idea. But like Brett said, I mean, wild exchanges, anything can happen. Gaethje landed one big shot in round three on Poye too um, in one moment. But overall, Poye generally wins to the head and whoever's punching each other in the face more, I'm going to pick to win. So I think it's going to be Dustin Poirier to win. And yeah, I think he's the rightful favorite. And I bet him personally around my, uh, at minus 130. And the lines come in too. So it's still around there. Um, people seem to like Gates G after that physique fight, but that's a different fight. Like physique doesn't target the head. He's a lot of kicks, a lot to the body. He's not capable of of throwing 100 significant strikes in a round like Poirier either. Physique, that's just not what he does. Um, so yeah, I like Poirier here, but Gates, you might catch him if he doesn't, I think Poirier wins. Yeah. And I mean, just to put context on, you know, Gaethje, this whole, he changed his style his last fight. Let's not, let's not overblow that. You know, he still attempted 174 significant strikes, total strikes rather. And it just seemed to me more like he was able to close out the round strong, kind of give those good visuals to the judges towards the end of the rounds, which uh, swung them in his favor. But you know, it's kind of just he's a little bit more polished, but it's still it's still the same old Justin Gaethje. Like, make no mistakes about it. He's not about to come out here and, you know, hump someone's leg or do any bullshit like he, he's still Justin Gaethje. And at the end of the day, when you hit a guy like that, he's going to try to hit you back 10 times harder. So uh, the kind of competitors these guys are, it's just great. It's just, again, one of those fights where I could see it literally go either way. But I'm going to pick Poirier. Poirier is a guy that um, I pick to win every single fight except when he fought Habib. <laughs> That's the only time I've uh, picked against him. And so the only times I've been wrong on his fights were the Charles Oliveira fight and the Michael Johnson fight. But besides that, I pretty much pick him to win every fight, and he's a very, very reliable guy at the top of the division. Um, so, yeah, who's your pick, Brett? Oh, I'm picking Poirier. I mean, again, I think there's a ceiling on how high I'd cap him just for the, the variance here, but like we've talked about uh, more path to victory, better head strike numbers. Um, so I I'm picking Poirier. Tim, did you want to do this whole uh, thing about, you know, these guys fighting each other a billion times and all that, or, or should we just move on? 
I'll briefly mention it. Like, I think it's more, it's not even their fault. I mean, if you're them, why would you fight Sargukian if you had a choice, right? Exactly. But I think it's more on the UFC. It's like Chandler, Gaethje, and Boye all fight each other. Tony Ferguson or Colfer McGregor a title shot. And they've basically done that for three years. Like, and it's kind of shielding that top five, you know? Like, since Chandler's been here, he's beaten Ferguson and Hooker, and that's it, you know? And he's still in the top five. And I just feel like that, and Poirier just doesn't fight a lot of grapplers. And when he does, he kind of gets toyed a little bit, you know? So that's why I picked Oliveira to beat him. But it's not really their fault. I think it's more of like a UFC thing. And uh, it's kind of a shame because Sarukian's the one who, you know, guys like that, or even like a Grant Dawson may never get like an opportunity to fight someone and they just get stuck fighting other young killers, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I hear where you're coming from, but you gotta understand these guys have been paying their dues for so many years, and it's like I like Saruk, I like Saruk, and he's a great prospect, but like you can't beat Christos Giagos and Joel Alvarez and Joaquim Silva and act like you're Oda Dustin Poirier fight. It just but doesn't... he's fighting those guys because no one else will fight him, you know. So it's like the thing is, he got his Gamrod opportunity and blew it. So it's like now nah, he, he won that fight. Let's be real. Did, did he though? Did he though? <laughs> You know, like, it, I got you. I hear you. There's like two sides to the, to the argument. It, it, but but like you look at these resumes, Poirier. I mean, first of all, the 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 grappler talk. Now this is kind of here. This is kind of hit or miss. What I'm about to say. So his last three fights: Charles Oliveira, most submissions in UFC history. Next fight: Michael Chandler, D1 wrestler. Fights like an idiot, but D1 wrestler. Now Justin Gaethje, two D1 wrestlers back to back. Prior to that, guy with most submissions in UFC history. So he's fighting credential grapplers. It's not his fault they they don't fight smart, you know. So it is what it is. But like, take all that aside, man. I mean, look at the resume, man. I mean, when you're beating, and and we have to scroll back to like back in the day. I mean, when you've beat Max Holloway twice, UFC champion. Pettis, UFC champion, Gaethje, UFC interim champ, Eddie Alvarez, UFC champ, like Khabib, you great, one of the greatest UFC champs, Charles Oliveira. He's just fighting like champ after champ after champ after champ. So it's like when you know the whole paid and full thing, like when you've paid your dues to that extent, because you gotta understand this. Like I've been around since Poirier's like early days. So like back in the day, it started off at UFC 125, the night that Frankie Edgar fought Gray Maynard to, to the draw. Incredible fight, right? So what was initially supposed to happen was Jose Aldo was in the co-main event against this kid named Josh Grisby. Yeah. And in, in the WEC, Josh Grisby, they called him the fluke, but he went undefeated in WEC and he won all his fights via nasty finishes. Like he like put like Mark Hominick out, who was like the man at the time and a bunch of other guys. So Josh Grisby earned that title shot against Jose. Jose ends up pulling out. So they called up this newcomer, uh, Dustin Poirier to come out there and Dustin Poirier goes out there. This is the first time I ever seen him fight. And on total strikes, he outstrikes Grisby, who was the undefeated, you know, prospect the phenom prospect 106 to 35 on totals 77 to 16 on significance and it was a beatdown of beatdown so that was my first exposure to poirier and right away he stood out so then i went back watched his wec fight with this kid zach mickle right where he just bombed off on him the second the bell rang so right away this guy's been a violence king since day one and he's never had a boring fight ever so that's why you get these opportunities to, to fight for a BMF belt. And BMF might not necessarily be someone in title contention. It's just someone that consistently puts on the kind of fights the fans want to see. So, like, down the line, I could see, like, a Jim Miller, Bobby Green BMF 
type situation. They're not as high ranked as Gaethje and Poirier, but they're those kind of guys that are just like respected um, amongst all the fans because of they'll show up, they'll fight, you know, and they do what needs to be done. So I feel your point. It's just Sarukian's got to earn that fight, man. Like I said, you can't just be Christos Giagos and act like you 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 earn a fight against Dustin Poirier. That that's just my opinion. I hear you, but it is kind of ironic that Poirier fought a guy who was going to go for the belt, like <laughs> gave Poirier an opportunity, you know. But uh, I don't know. Besides the point, we've been talking about it long enough. But like, I mean, they're legends. Him and Gaethje, they deserve a main event. They don't even need to name this a BML BMF belt, and I think it could still headline a pay per view, you know. Five yeah. fight. It was no, just, it's just the, the novelty yeah. factor, you know, um, yeah. because it's like, you know, Masvidal is going to be there to kind of put the belt around the person's waist. And it's just it, it's just fun. You know, it's not supposed to take away from Islam or Charles or anything like that. It's just, it's just a fun thing they're doing to honor two guys who, I mean, break bonus records, break knockout records. Like, that's why they get that opportunity. So, yeah. All right, co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division. We got the former champ, Jan Blahovic. He's 29-9, and nine, taking on Alex Pereira, who's 7-2. and two. Currently, they got it. Jan Blahovic, minus 120. The comeback on Alex Pereira is plus 100. So about a week or two ago, I gave out uh, Alex Pereira plus 128. So I'm just glad that I beat the line by that much already because um, I view it maybe not a 50 55 maybe a slight lean on Pereira because the whole talk about oh well all Jan has to do is wrestle uh, remind me uh, what happened the last few times Jan was in wrestling exchanges uh against Rakic could not get up from bottom prior to that against Glover insta tap city last fight against uh ankle live as soon as ankle live wanted to take him down couldn't get back up Jan cannot get back up from a takedown but we know Pereira is not going to shoot so the whole thing is uh, use the wrestling offensively here. Okay, well, talk to me about the last time Jan offensively wrestled. It took him into like the championship rounds against Izzy. This just that's not Jan's style. Like, look, as a Pereira better, am I worried that Jan's going to get on top of him? Of course, that's of course I don't want that to happen. Of course, if Jan gets on top of of Pereira, I'm going to be like, <laughs> Alex, get up. But I think that him moving up to 205 is just. A massive factor here. I mean, this is so beneficial. This dude's weight cuts were ridiculous. They were impacting his chin. And while I don't know for a fact that they were impacting his grappling, I would assume putting on those extra 20 pounds, extra 20 pounds to make the weight, additional 20 pounds after you make the weight is going to help his grappling. And this guy's in there with Glover every single day. That's not going to hurt uh, your grappling chops at all. So honestly, I see it as a situation where they're going to stand and bang. And Blachowicz, we know he's got heavy kicks. Ask Ankalaev about that. Ask Dominic Reyes about it. We know about the legendary Polish power. But don't forget about that legendary Brazilian power. I mean, when Alex Pereira fought some 205ers that are on the roster right now, like Dustin Jacoby in kickboxing, go, go, go check out what he did to Dustin Jacoby. You want to see a brutal knockout? Go check out Pereira versus Jacoby. So, yeah, I mean... The countdown shows that Jan's, you know, training is wrestling. Jan said, I can knock him out or submit him. So these guys aren't dummies. It's just that when they actually get in there, it's like one thing to watch the tape. It's another thing to watch an interview. And when I watch the tape, Jan doesn't really wrestle that often. Um, he waited to like the fourth fucking round against Izzy, man. Um, 
So, and, and to take it a step further, I'm on a yawn fading tour right now, man. I mean, that Glover fight, look, I love Glover. Who doesn't? But that was that not a red flag the way Jan looked in that fight? Not not just the quick tap, but getting rocked by left hooks. You know who's got the best left, left hook in the business. Um, yeah, I think Alex is going to catch him, man. I think Alex is going to look really good. Are we worried that he's coming off a brutal knockout? Yeah, but at least he's not cutting to 85s anymore. And this guy's a stone-cold killer. You see his demeanor. Like, this ain't the kind of guy who seems like he's going to be put down mentally for a long period of time he seems like a resilient guy get back up on the horse and try again i think that's what's going to happen here i'm on my yawn fading tour so let's get this plus 128 on alex Pereira. i think it's going to be a left hook knockout brett yeah well i i came to the similar conclusion as you through maybe a different path i, I don't really care about the defensive grappling issues for blahovich like yeah he's getting taken down by Teixeira and inkalaya that doesn't really have an impact on whether he's going to take down um Pereira here but I would say what really struck me is that Blahovich just doesn't wrestle I mean he he averages about one takedown for 15 minutes obviously he out wrestled Adesanya and won the fight because of that so that is a very clear path to victory for him I mean Pereira is not a great defensive wrestler Pereira's been taken down by Andres Mikalidis Bruno Silva Israel Adesanya, that is a really, really bad resume. And to think Vlahovic can't out-wrestle him would, would not be a you know a reasonable take. So I definitely think that's a potential outcome for Vlahovic. But Vlahovic, you know, in his last, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine fights, you know how many opponents of his last nine he's taken down? The answer is one, and that was Israel Adesanya. So he just doesn't wrestle enough for me to be confident in that path to victory. I, I do think it is a path to victory, but it's very possible that he doesn't wrestle with urgency here. And even if he shoots one to two takedowns, there's no guarantee that he, that he easily takes Pereira down, controls him, submits him. And if this fight plays out on the feet, I think you have to favor Pereira. Like you said, I'm concerned about him coming off a knockout loss. This is light heavyweight division, variances in play, anything can happen. But Pereira is a far more experienced kickboxer. Pereira is a, a much better technical striker. Pereira throws at a, at a high rate. And Blahovich really does not throw at a high rate. I mean, he's coming off a five-round fight, in which he landed 55 significant strikes. He averages 3.4 significant strikes per minute. Um, you know, he landed 71 significant strikes in a five-round fight. I know this is, is three rounds, but... I mean, if this fight plays out on the feet, unless Blahovich knocks Pereira out cold, like at, at best he's fighting ultra competitive rounds that could go either way, where I think Pereira has the upside to also land a big knockout and then kind of blow him out of the water in terms of effectiveness. So again, you can't cap Pereira as a two- wide favorite because of the grappling path to victory for Blahovich, which he it's obvious that he should use it here but i think because he historically has not wrestled um and i consider per Pereira the better more effective striker i think Pereira is probably improving on the ground i am willing to pick Pereira in this fight i also kind of cap him as a slight favorite 
I mean, Pereira is a brown belt. Not to say he's going to submit Jan or any bullshit like that. It's just I'm just saying this ain't like Melvin Gallard or something like who's been training, you know, since he was a kid and still a white belt, you know, like he's taking it seriously and he's around the right guy. If you want to improve your grappling, let uh, Glover, you know, get on top of you at the beginning of every round. So uh, hopefully it's patched up and just hopefully it looks better with the size because I really think that size, like, man, those weight cuts, I mean, like, dude, the dude is fucking massive, bro. Like, like, yeah, how he's not going to be undersized here. Yeah, he's, he's going to fit right in. And and the big criticism Izzy had was that, you know, Izzy just jumped right into the Yan fight. He didn't take the proper time to put on the size. The thing is that Alex doesn't need to take the time. Alex is the size already. So, yeah, technical Tim, what's up? Um. Yeah, I'm not going to echo a lot of your points, but like, um, I'm not I'm not strongly opinionated about the fight at all. Like, they both have clear paths to victory. The issue with playing Jan is like, I like playing when someone needs to go their path to victory. I want to know they're going to maximize it. Like Grant Dawson, he's going to shoot 15 takedowns a fight. Marab's going to shoot 75 takedowns a fight, and it's like Jan shoots like two a fight. And even in that Adesanya fight, the only time he's landed a a takedown in the last nine fights this is a three-round fight and then if that was a three-round fight he had only landed one you know like because he landed a lot of those later like he he stood with izzy so um i'm just afraid he's not going to maximize his path to victory i will say though um the only thing is like jan he is older though so maybe i'm like over exaggerating this going in that adesanya fight i pretty much played adesanya every fight but Jan had good distance striking numbers. Like he doesn't land a lot of volume, like Brett says, but he generally like outlands his opponents and he outlanded Izzy at distance in that fight. I think it was like 85, 77, if I remember. So I'm not saying like, of course, if I'm going to favor Pereira on the feet, but I don't think Jan is like completely screwed on the feet. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I still feel like he can be competitive in exchanges and he does hit hard, you know, like, Bruno Silva even had moments against um, against um, Pereira on the feed side. Like, I do want to mention that, but like the reason why I'm also gravitating towards Pereira just because I feel like yeah, I feel like they're gonna strike more often than not, and I want to favor like I have to favor the more credentialed guy in that case. But there's it's an interesting fight. It's really kind of kind of a fascinating fight. Like I like I, I totally just see sketchiness like both ways but if you got that plus money on Pereira I can't blame you for that yeah and hopefully third time's the charm I mean the Rakic fight was going my way until you know an injury I thought we won the Ankalaya fight and uh this weekend left hook Larry hopefully that's the case featured bout in the welterweight division we got Steven Wonderboy Thompson he's 17 and 6 taking on Michelle Pereira who's 28 and 11 currently they got it Steven Wonderboy, minus 160. The comeback on Michelle Pereira is plus 140. So oftentimes, I love taking the much younger prospect, you know, at a good dog odds against someone who's aging and all this and that. But it's like when you actually sit back and watch um, Pereira's fights, firstly, the only person he's ever knocked out in the UFC was Danny Hot Chocolate, who Danny's got that dog in him. Danny just don't got that chin in him, you know? So um, it, it was what it was. And it was a beautiful knockout. Um, but the rest of these fights are kind of like, like he was like, the the last round of that Nico Price fight was like life and death. The last round of that Pons fight was like life and death. And it seems like, you know, 
maybe Michelle is kind of reeled in the the antics and all that, you know, the backflips and the jumping off the cage, which I enjoy watching, but it's kind of reeled it in a little bit more. He's getting more mature, but as a result, now he's a little bit more low output and that's where that's where it's either going to be a really good thing or a really bad thing. And the reason I say that is this, like when dudes are hesitant to strike against Wonder Boy, like Wonder Boy is like a counter striker. So if you don't lead, then it just becomes a shit show where a guy like Darren Till who throws two strikes, you know, a fight. I was going to say per minute, two strikes a fight, sometimes zero strikes a fight. Look at the Woodley numbers or a guy like Woodley can go out there and beat them because they're not aggressively pursuing him. They're just having, you know, I'll throw an inside leg kick. You throw an inside leg kick. I throw a side kick. You will throw a side kick. Then we high five. If, if wonder boy knocks you down, he helps you back up. So, um, but then that last fight he had against Holland, I, I gave that the performance of the year on my, uh, year-end show man i thought that he tuned up holland in a way like i saw that aggression back like those kicks were vicious that was brutal and the guy that's less durable than than holland is definitely going down way sooner some of that and also i hear about how you know wonder boy got rocked early in that fight and he did but like i really like how elusive he is i like how he reacts like when he knows that he's in trouble very good at circling on the outside and that just showed me that he still got it. The the only thing is here from a narrative standpoint, his back was up against the wall in that fight. You know, he had lost to Bilal. He had lost to Gilbert Burns. Everyone was saying he was on his way out. So he had a fire lit up, uh, <laughs> lit under his ass. You know, he was training hard because he had to for that fight. Whereas now everybody thinks Wonder Boy is back. Is, is he still coming out here to try to make a point? So the past the victory I see for Pereira, obviously, you know, if you can get on top of Wonder Boy, he doesn't have the best get-ups. Is Pereira going to shoot or not? And then there's always a knockout, you know, chance. But the thing is, what I'm what I'm wondering is, in a low output fight, can Pereira kind of squeak by one of these split decisions, like where not much happens? They do a lot of high fiving. Um, Pereira doesn't really give Wonder Boy those openings for the counters, and as a result, they just kind of sit back and spar, and then it's anybody's fight. So um how like brett how do you kind of see Pereira's approach here because i think that's what's going to be indicative of how this fight goes down i mean i kind of picture him kind of dancing around the outside of the octagon running around darting in and out and i'm not certain that this is going to be the most entertaining fight because i don't know that um sorry i don't know that thompson is really going to press forward and i don't know that Pereira is really going to press forward either. So I kind of, I mean, there, there are definitely situations where Pereira does press forward. It does turn into a higher volume affair, in which case I would definitely favor Steven Thompson to win that fight, more technical counter kickboxer. Um, but if it turns into a situation where it's slower paced, then I could see, you know, let's say you, you get 20 to 25 significant strikes on each side in a round then it might come down to just who lands the harder shot. And yeah, Thompson can land cleanly, but Pereira can land cleanly as well. I would say Thompson is probably less durable at this stage. The longer the fight goes, the more I would favor Thompson because Pereira's shown, I mean, he's shown fight IQ issues, but he's shown cardio issues at elevation in a higher pace fight. I would definitely be worried about Pereira. The other thing is though, Pereira can probably take him down. I, I don't know that I 
project him to at a very high rate. I'd probably project him for one or two takedowns in this fight, but like Kevin Holland took Thompson down twice and let him up because he wanted the fans to cheer. It's like, what, what, what would that fight have looked like if he had just not let him up and, and tried to actually win? I, I'm not sure Thompson would have gotten up at all. Maybe he would have, but like Dar's joke. Per- <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in uh, you know, next fight, but um, Pereira is not good enough as a wrestler for me to give him a clear path to victory and say like, he deserves to be the favorite here. But he can probably land a takedown or two if he wrestles with some urgency. I would think he would try and factor that into his game plan. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that I think he could win the fight that way, along with mitigating uh, Thompson's output. So I think it's very fair to favor Thompson. Again, the longer the fight goes, the I, the more separation I think he'll have between himself and Pereira. Um, he's obviously more tactical. He's very experienced, but there's the power factor on Pereira and there's also the wrestling factor. So I don't know if he'll maximize his chances of winning, but I, I do think he, I do think he's a live underdog. Yeah, and I mean, Tim, someone brought up a good point about, you know, the 10 year age gap, you know, tending to favor the younger guy. But I mean, we just saw wonder boys last fight. I think it was like an 11 year age gap or something like that. And he beat the living shit out of him. So, but that doesn't mean he's going to do it again here. So it, to me, it's, it's just tough because I don't know the approach. I, I I really don't know what to expect. It's like, if you want to get aggressive against wonder boy, like Jeff Neal did, like Luke, did like, that's when wonder boy has some of his best performances, but to y'all's credit, I'm sure before we hopped on the show, the, the thoughts of uh, the till and Woodley fights where it's completely low output. Um, those are the fights that Wonder Boy kind of loses. Um, could you see that kind of low output fight here? Uh, that kind of approach by Pereira and squeaking by a split decision? Yeah, I mean, I could see it happening. Like if Tyron Wood wins striking rounds on you by being low output, I mean, I could literally pick anyone <laughs> to, to pull that off, you know? Um, yeah, like I, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you guys said. Like I will say the only thing about like the age, because you mentioned that. I would have probably been worried had I not seen the Holland fight because before that he got out grappled by Muhammad and Burns and we hadn't seen him actually in a striking fight since Jeff Neal in 2020. So it, it would have been like two and a half years since we actually saw him in a, like a, like a real striking fight, you know? And, but he looked great against Holland. Like I, I was really, really imp- impressed. I thought he was like probably going to lose that fight based on age, you know, like I, I underestimated his age going into that fight. So I'm guessing he'll look all right. But it, judging the pace of striking fights is hard. Like I can tell you, like I could guess up. Oh, they might be low volume here. And I kind of do think it's going to be a little less exciting than maybe the promotion is hyping it up to be. Like I'm kind of leaning towards that, but who knows? You know, like they all it takes is one guy decide to get very aggressive and then you could get an aggressive striking fight. And that's why I also don't like always betting on striking fights because not only are they harder to judge the pace of the fight's hard to call you don't know when someone's going to be aggressive or not and i think grappling exchanges are a little easier to predict but i ultimately think holland's a rightful favorite he's a more talented striker but there are enough ways i could see Pereira making it interesting wait wait you you mean thompson's the rightful favorite yeah yeah sorry if I, yeah my bad I, I meant thompson i i do believe is the rightful favorite he's the more credentialed kickboxer he's beaten the better competition 
but there's enough little ways Pereira can make it interesting. It could be a low-paced fight. He could land a takedown. He could land a big shot. We've seen Thompson hurt multiple times, you know, like Anthony Pettis knocked him out. So there's ways for Pereira to win, but I'm going to have to go with the guy who just re- looked really, really good against Kevin Holland, you know? Yeah. And to your credit about, you know, will Wonderboy turn up the intensity like he did? I mean, some of those kicks, I was like, oh my God, like I didn't know he still had that in him, man, like to the body, to the head, the spins. And the reason I think there's going to be openings for that spin for those spins is because, like I said, back to the example of the Nico Price fight in, in round three, the Pons fight in round three. Pereira's backing up into the fence and that's where Wonderboy does some of his best work um so I, I just want to see if he's going to get aggressive here um that's going to let me know so I lean uh Wonderboy Wonderboy will be my pick here um it's just back to the whole like historically like because because a week or two ago it was like plus 185 Pereira and that really got my attention until I watched tape now tape is not the be-all end-all like it's just not like you might see one thing and then it plays out completely differently. The tape swayed me towards uh, Wonderboy because of the, the reasons I keep mentioning that Pereira does back himself into the fence. He does kind of slow down as fights progress. And even though he's gotten away from the wild shit, um, he's still he's still slowing down in fights. Uh, so let's see. But I'm not counting him out, and I know the UFC. I know who the UFC would prefer to win. Not that that means anything, but just saying. So I'm going to go Wonder Boy, but, um, yeah, th- this could play out in a variety of ways. Anything to add, Brett? No, I pretty much agree. I, I wouldn't. I think the betting line is fair where it's at, to be honest. So next up in the lightweight division, we got Bobby King Green. He's 29 and 14, taking on Tony El Kukui Ferguson, who's 25 and 8. And currently they got it. Bobby Green minus 400. The comeback on Tony Ferguson's plus 300. So I parlayed Green at minus 350 with uh, Ignacio Bahamondas, who fights next week against Ludovic Klein. Um, and basically, it's one of these things where when Tony Ferguson was in his prime, he had, you know, he already had like shoddy takedown defense and suspect head strike defense but he was able to get away with it. He was a very mean guy. He was young. He's athletic. He's hungry. Like, he would go for it. And there was this time period where, do you remember, like, the collages that came out of dudes' faces after they fought Tony? Like, Ed mm-hmm. and, and RDA. And, and and it's funny because, like, a lot of my friends that I respect used to tell me, even back in Tony's win streak, they're like, bro, Tony's one of the most overrated fighters Um in the lightweight division, like, uh, just wait, just wait till he steps up. Like, um, and, and you would have got smoked against Khabib. Um, if you watch Tony versus Danny Castillo, that's all the evidence you need that Tony wasn't going to win that Habib fight. But the thing about it is this. So he already had shitty striking defense and shitty takedown defense back when he was the man. But, but like I said, he was able to get away with it, with creativity, with, with heart, with balls, with just being mean, with taking all these risks. But now that he's 40 years old, he's still the same fighter. It's just that, you know, as your speed begins to diminish and all, and all that stuff and you, you start to age, he hasn't patched up those deficiencies in his game. So now you're not getting a young athletic guy who's got these holes in his game that he can get away with. Now he can't get away with them anymore because he's too old now. He's too slow, too many injuries. Like even like in the the pre-fight when when Bruce Buffer is announcing their names, 
Um, and every fighter has their little routine that they like to do to, to play out to the crowd. Uh, Tony Ferguson does that thing where he takes like takedown shots. Like, you know what I'm saying? He does like a little shot. And if you, there's this um, montage that came out over the years of like, so like back when he used to do that takedown shot during the Bruce Buffer introduction, it looked explosive. It looked fast. It looked mean. And progressively over the years, it's gotten so slow to like, this guy's got no knees left and he already had no striking defense and to take it a step further, you watch that. So let's just talk about it. So like, I mean, Justin Gaethje, you know, that was the, you know, that, that was the needle in the haystack. That was the fight that, you know, ended Tony Ferguson, man. I mean, the shots he took, it sounded like a shotgun. It was uncomfortable. Comes back against Benny and Charles. They mopped the floor with him. Michael Chandler fight, one of the most brutal knockouts in the history of the sport. And then you bounce back, and the, the Michael Chandler fight was the one that took his soul. Reason being, you see Ferguson in there with Diaz, and it was uncharacteristic. He's being nice to Diaz. He's going, he's going like this in the middle of the fight. He's trying to high-five shit that you would never see a guy like Tony Ferguson ever do in a million years. And to take it a step further, Diaz was clowning him in a way where like Diaz would be like walking away being like nah like people thought like Diaz was trying to look for a way out now Diaz was clowning him then Diaz would go up against the fence like meaning like um like his face towards the crowd his back towards uh Ferguson he'd put his hands up on the cage and then he'd throw these like lazy sidekicks like, like, like he would li he, he literally embarrassed him and just like humiliated him in a way where like that's not Tony Ferguson anymore. And people talk about how, oh, like Tony tapped quick to that choke. Dude, that choke was locked fucking in. Like for you to, the power guillotine, like we talk about, I know Brett likes to talk about guillotines are low percentage. Armin guillotines are low percentage. That power guillotine, if you get that power guillotine, it, I mean, we're going to talk about Bonfim in a sec who actually escaped one. But like to escape a power guillotine, usually you don't escape power guillotines. Uh, like I said, arm in guillotines those are kind of low percentage unless your technique is really fucking on point but those high elbows and those power guillotines you get stuck in one of those and it's a fat chance you're getting out so i don't blame him for for getting tapped out there and because i know people compare it to when um du bronx had that arm bar like why didn't why didn't he tap there but why did he tap here I don't know. Maybe the dude's double jointed. Who fucking knows? Maybe he had a little bit heart left in that fight. Who fucking knows? But the thing is, like, I'm not going to hold him tapping against, you know, a power guillotine and Diaz against him. What I will hold against him is the high fiving, the trying to be friends. Like the the meanness is completely out of him. Not not to mention his speed has slowed down drastically. He's just not the same guy. And as a result, now he's minus, you know. Now he's plus 300 against the guy who he would have been favored against a few years back. And while Bobby might be kind of towards the end, Tony is past the end. And that's the difference here. So I just think that Bobby Green is going to land cleaner, have more output, and, and light up Tony Ferguson, uh, possibly even get him out of there, man. Because, guys, these things don't get better. These things get worse. And the, 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 the signs and the indications of where Tony's headed – this has to be his retirement fight. If not, you're about to see him on some, you know, did you see Sam Alvey go fight a five and 12 guy recently on like some like regional show? Like it's going yes. to, it's going to have to be some sad shit like that. So I, I think it's over. I want to thank Tony for the memories. I'll never forget when he salsa danced in front of RDA for five rounds in Mexico city. So you love to see it. And here we're back in, in altitude, but uh, 
look, man, I think Bobby Green is going to piece this man up. And as a result, I parlayed him at minus 350 with Ignacio Bahamondes for next week. Yeah, I mean, I think he did a good job in summing it up by saying that he was overrated for, for a long time. I, I know Tim cashed in a bunch of times on him um, or against him in recent years. But, yeah, he, you know, you talk about the embarrassing moments in the Nate Diaz fight. I, I think Ferguson has had many embarrassing moments throughout the, the past several years as well outside of the UFC. I mean, he's just he's past his prime. He's not an effective wrestler offensively or defensively. He's willing to brawl, but he's looked less athletic than ever. I, I think the interesting, the interesting thing, which maybe Tim can speak to is that on paper, this isn't like a terrible matchup for Tony Ferguson. I mean, I know green is, is has intangibles is faster, you know, is durable, but I mean, how many years did we talk about the, the fight IQ issues of Bobby green and, and yeah, Green might have wrestling success here, but how shocked would you be if Bobby Green's high-fiving Tony Ferguson in the middle of the octagon in round two and, and, and waving up the fans and and these two are just striking? And and if they are choosing to strike, that is a path to victory for Ferguson. I mean, he's the longer fighter. He's still an effective kicker. He you know defends strikes at 58%. He absorbs less than four significant strikes per minute. He was lighting up Michael Chandler early on in that fight, which is maybe not as hard as it, as it seems, but I mean, you know, Bobby green was recently knocked out. I don't think if these two just strike that it's so one-sided in green's favor on paper, but it is very possible that like Ferguson is, is so past his athletic prime um, that the, the speed, the, the power, the volume is just way too much for him, and he just gets kind of beaten to a pulp over the course of three rounds, maybe gets knocked out. I, I wouldn't be totally surprised by that either. So uh, I'm picking green. It's hard to make a great case to pick Ferguson to win, but um, I, if the fight plays out on the feet, you know, at least early on, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a little more competitive than the betting line indicates. Technical, Tim? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I echo a lot of your points. Like, again, um, I think... I do think Ferguson's probably past it. He's probably going to lose this fight, but I am just a little worried because there have been glimpses. It, like Green could wrestle here, you know, and just like get top position. Like Ferguson's defensive wrestling has looked really, really bad. So if Green goes to that, fine. But if Green decides not to, it's like Ferguson kind of just got out wrestled by Dariush, like in Oliveira. And against Chandler, he was winning the early striking exchanges. Like, I know he then got sent to Pluto, but he he won the first round. And even against Gaethje, he knocked, he hurt Gaethje in round one. And he still landed 136 significant strikes. But, so like I'm saying, that there's been pockets where he's competed decent in striking exchanges. But guys just kind of, you know, Chandler and Gaethje just had more power than him, right? Um, I will say the Diaz fight. He got dominated in the head strikes, which that is like kind of my main concern here. But I do think he could land kicks here and maybe compete on the feet with just pure output. Like he still might have cardio at this age, you know, but I do ultimately think like the historical metrics show it could potentially be close. And some of the stylistic matchups may show that like recently may show he's being a little bit underrated, but I still do think he's declined nonetheless. And I doubt he is you know what his historical metrics indicate 
And ultimately, I do think Bobby Green should win this fight, but I'm not laying minus 400 here. Um, Green even had a close, you know, he had kind of a close fight with like Clay Guida, you know, like, and I played Green in that fight, but he didn't completely run away with that at times either. You know, he's had, he, he, he's a weird one because I feel like he can keep some fights closer than they should be, even though I think he's very talented, but ultimately I will pick him to win, but I'm not laying minus 400 and that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah, and Nate Diaz, speaking of kicks, Nate Diaz was out there landing, like, Dutch combos on him, man. Like, he was doing, like, the Aldo, like, left hook, right leg kick. I was like, damn, Nate, I didn't I didn't know uh, you had combos like that. I knew you had hand combos, but, like, the dude was out there looking like a K-1 kickboxer against them. So, yeah, you know, it's just sad to see, you know, when guys we've been watching for so many years. And he had, like, Tony went from having the biggest win streak in lightweight history now it's looking like he's about to have the biggest skit in lightweight history. Um, so and and don't 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 hurt my feelings and bring up BJ Penn, please. Now next up, kicking off the main card in the welterweight division, we got Michael Chiesa, he's sixteen and six, taking on Kevin Holland, who's twenty four and nine. Currently, they got it. Kevin Holland minus one forty five. The comeback on Chiesa is plus one twenty five. Tim, you've been going last on all these, so you're going first on this one. I mean, we understand that some of the dynamics here. We understand that. If you're picking Holland, you don't want Kiesa, you know, taking the back of Holland. We we understand that. And also, if your game plan is to beat Holland, go out there and try to try to take him down from the jump. Try to body lock him, do what Kiesa does. So Kiesa is going to come in here with the right game plan. It's just, do you trust Kiesa mentally? Because Kiesa is a guy that he's a great hammer. But when it's time to be that nail, oh boy, is he not a good nail. And what do you think? What do you think? Is he, is he gonna is he gonna take his back and choke him out? Is he gonna have some early success, then dive headfirst into a Dars on the feet? It's a mismatch. I mean, tell me your thoughts. I pick Kiesa to win here for the upset, but like I'm, I mean, how could you not be sketched out by both guys in this matchup? You know, like they both could really give each other problems. You know, but um. Like, ultimately, I do think Kiesa is a bit underrated right now. Like, I picked him to upset RDA. Like, we have to remember, like, he's not that far removed from dominating RDA on the mat, you know, who's a good wrestler. And, um, you know, he won four straight fights against Luke. He probably should have won that fight, but he got way too over aggressive. And then he ended up getting darsed. And he was a better wrestler in that matchup and was, like, kind of dominating early. And against Sean Brady... That's a totally different matchup. Like Brady is a good offensive wrestler and Kiesa ended up kind of like, if that was a five round fight, I think we'd all agree. Kiesa probably would have ended up winning, like given Brady was gassing, but that fight is almost like not even analogous to, to, to Holland here. Um, I picked Kiesa to upset Magni too. Like I generally got his fights right, but, but the Luke one, I got that one wrong, but like, on the feet, he does a good job of limiting engagements, Kiesa. He's all he's like all the way in or all the way out. He's like all the way in on the clinch, going for takedowns or all the way out. He only absorbs 1.67 significant strikes per minute. But still, like Holland could hurt him. But Kiesa's done an underrated job of kind of like not getting hurt on the feet. And I and I think he can land takedowns here, you know, and I think he could threaten with submissions as a guy who submitted Benil Dariush with a rear naked choke. Like I could totally see him doing that. And so I'm I'm gonna pick him to win. I think he will land takedowns. So he's landed a takedown in his last like eight fights, you know, and Holland gets taken down a lot. So I'm gonna pick him to win. My only issue, man, is like Kiesa is this grappler who gets submitted, you know, and sometimes he can be over aggressive on top and like seeing him get darsed by Luke. 
Holland is a dangerous submission grappler. And if he hurt Kiesa first, I could see him jumping on something with the club and sub. Or if, if Kiesa is just a little too over aggressive, I could see Holland catching a submission. So there's clearly like, you know, Holland can finish this fight, but I just feel like Kiesa is like clearly a better wrestler. And I'm, I, I'm going to pick him to win for those reasons. But I just, it's hard for me to pick Holland when I don't, I think he's going to get out grappled. I'm not sure he's going to just dominate on the feet because Kiesa limits engagements. And I think he's going to get taken down, you know? So I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Kiesa to get the upset, but it is a very, very sketchy fight. But I think Kiesa is a little undervalued in general right now. Like if you look at his fights, he's generally performed well in all of them. Brad Apley. That argument is fine. I'm going to go the other direction. I, I just, and these are two guys who I've been so low on throughout like the majority of their careers. I mean, I, I was picking Brendan Allen over Kevin Holland. Um, so I, I fully acknowledge the grappling path to victory for Kiesa. And if he out grapples Holland, that's fine. That's a very real path to victory. It's just, I mean, as using the Brendan Allen fight as an example, Brendan Allen had to fight through a lot of adversity before he won that fight. And Kiesa does not really fight through adversity. And you want to talk about the RDA matchup, like RDA is five foot eight. Like Kevin Holland is so much bigger and longer than RDA. And so I am worried, like if this fight plays out at distance, yeah, Kiesa can just normally stay on the outside, but he's going to have to walk through something to get a hold of Kevin Holland. And the other issue is that, like, let's say Kiesa lands a takedown. He's on top for three minutes. I mean, if this fight play, you know, if this, if they get back up to the feet, which I think Kevin Holland can survive, I'm not confident he will defend takedowns early, but he's a competent enough submission grappler to, I think, survive for a little while. If he can still get two minutes of striking exchanges out of a five round fight, like, yeah, RDA was landing one distance strike per round. Like, I think Kevin Holland's going to march forward and, and strike with them. And, Kiesa just doesn't really have the tools to exchange back. So it's funny that you you, you mentioned that the Dars because I I mean I literally picked Kevin Holland to win this fight by Dars. <laughs> I think Holland to win by submission is a a pretty interesting prop. Not that it would come with a takedown necessarily, but I I just think Kiesa's path to victory is like dominating on the ground. Like he needs to get takedowns early. He needs to control Holland for three, four, five minutes in a round, every round, or submit him. I'm not confident enough in the submission aspect. And then the longer the fight goes, I just, unless Holland just has absolutely no takedown defense, which is a possibility, I think we're going to see striking exchanges. And I just don't think Kiesa is going to last very long in those. So I see kind of Kiesa getting a takedown early, having some success, Holland surviving, getting back up, start landing strikes. And then yeah, Kiesa diving headfirst into a Darce choke. So the argument to make, for either side of the coin is fine. Like it, it would be foolish of me to say, Oh, Kevin Holland is, is clearly winning this fight when he has a 50% takedown defense against a, a grappling dependent um, opponent. But I, Kevin Holland is while Kevin Holland has weak takedown defense, his submission grappling defense is okay. And I think my feeling is that he can extend this fight long enough to create the striking exchanges he needs to kind of take over and, and probably went inside the distance. Yeah. I mean, this is a volatile fight because it's like, when you think about if you're going to train a fighter and you want the right game plan to beat Kevin Holland, 
I mean, Kiesa, I know his intentions are correct. Because, I mean, what, you think he's going to come out here and try to bang with Holland? You know for a fact he's not going to do that. He's going to dive on legs or try to get that body lock the second the bell rings. That's just the bottom line. And Kiesa, like, it's funny. It's like his striking isn't bad in terms of, like, the technique actually per se. Like, like he actually will go from some combinations from time to time. It's just he's completely unathletic. He's uncoordinated. So it just looks really bad. But the thing is, when he gets that body lock, and and I'm not just talking about, you know, body lock from standing i'm talking about also when he gets the body triangle um dudes tend to knock it out and you've seen him fucking tap out benil dariush who's legit and this guy's got an underrated resume i mean like beat francisco trinaldo tapped out jim miller uh rda like y'all mentioned um you know dominated neil magny so he's he's been there with the who's who throughout his career um it, it's just one of those things where i think that he's a good hammer but i think he's a terrible nail and if he can't get his early storm going like you saw in the luke fight as soon as luke bucked him off the back i mean kiesa was ready to go home Matt with the masvidal fight back in the day so he actually drops masvidal which is really impressive and masvidal stood up to the bully and then he got darsh choked like we've been talking about um you look at the pettis fight i mean like pettis embarrassed him and pettis is a dude with no takedown defense pettis is a dude that like like I like Pettis in terms of like I love flashy finishes and you know I respect what he was what he's accomplished in the WC and the UFC, but let's not you know sugarcoat it. Pettis, there's like like Eddie Alvarez said a very famous quote. Remember when Eddie fought uh, Pettis? He said, "If you're a top ten fighter and you haven't figured out how to beat Anthony Pettis yet, then there's an issue there, right?" And I completely agree with that and um pettis didn't just beat kiesa pettis embarrassed kiesa uh pettis got him out the weight class that's how bad it was um so here it's just you know we can talk about you know oh he's doing the commentary and this and that i don't give a fuck about that but what i care about more is if he gets like an early back take on holland and holland survives then what does kiesa still like is kiesa gonna mentally keep it together to keep pursuing that because like one thing you guys mentioned earlier which i mentioned all the time is i love my guys like sarukian or and dawson to your credit all these guys that they're gonna attempt a hundred takedowns like you know exaggerated but you know you know my point they're gonna like i know as a grappler you know as a grappler you know as a wrestler tim and you know as a blue belt brett that like you might stuff the first few takedowns but a, a guy that will not be discouraged by that and we'll keep shooting and shooting and shooting that's going to discourage you because it's like the fuck do i have to do to get this guy off of me so i just haven't seen that mentality from kiesa which is why i'm not sold on him here at all and i also think like on the feet if this stands for any prolonged period of time assuming holland's not so preoccupied with being worried about being taken down to where he's gun shy holland's gonna light this man out upstanding period point blank um so i think if holland can overcome this early back take not get submitted by a guy that submitted dariush which i also think not to discredit that win but i also think dariush going into that fight was like you know kiesa is kind of viewed at, viewed as like a joke to some fighters because he's very unathletic and it, it just looks awkward and this and that i think benny probably thought there's literally a snowflakes chance in hell that this dude's gonna submit me so when it finally happened you know, it was like, holy shit, you know, so 
if Holland can survive these early, you know, bad spots, I think he's got submission upside. I think he's got knockout upside. And ultimately, I'm picking him to win this fight. It's just, it's sketchy to lay the price because we know that Kiesa does have the path to victory to beat this guy. And when Kevin Holland's on his back, and instead of trying to get back up, he's like, Dana, or some bullshit like that, I'm going to be really fucking pissed off if I have a ticket on, on Holland. So it's a pass for me, pure pick Holland. I just can't wait to to watch Tim lose his mind on Saturday when Kiesa has the the back for four minutes and 50 seconds in the first round and then Holland escapes and lands a leg kick and Sean Sheehan is d- declaring the round for Kevin Holland due to damage. Oh, that, oh, that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, so, oh, so y'all agree with me that uh, a guy who's never stepped foot in the gym has zero authority uh, or <laughs> zero business well, being considered the authority on judging fights. It's I just even, hate the damn. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's not even that. Like if, if someone has never like, you, you know, I, grew up wrestling my dad never wrestled and he would like give some points that were like valuable like i'm not like i'm not going to discredit someone who hasn't done it before it's more so just like how they act like we don't know the rules like we like we get it too like we get it we've heard you we've seen you tweeting and they think like only their interpretation is correct every time that's like my problem it's like i i've been watching since 2005 like i i know what i'm doing too but i'm not going to dismiss everyone's opinion just for that you know like they it's almost like they're dismissive of everyone else's opinion and even there's some times where i'm like i think there's an argument there but they act as if there's like not on the other side and that's like my problem with those guys and like uh particularly with the mvp sorely fight like there's some times where i'm like yeah like a knockdown that's good damage you know for sure like MVP landed like a jab and then was grappled for four minutes. And they're like, you're an idiot. If you think Storley won that round, that's like my problem with it. It's like the dismissive nature of it. And I think yeah. that's probably what Brett was going to say. No, there's just a lot of arrogance. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, sure. You, you've wrestled since you were four. Yeah. I'm a purple belt. Brett's a blue belt. Like, and, and we're not trying to act like we're better than people. I just think that like, I kind of, have a better understanding of what I'm seeing. Like, for example, when some of my friends that, uh, you know, I've never trained before, they come over and they see someone in bottom side control, they're going to be like, dude, just, just get up, just get up. And it's like, well, do you understand what that chest on chest pressure feels like? Like, do you understand that it's like chess? You're not just going to get the checkmate on one move on, you know, unless it's like Masvidal, uh, Askren, you know, okay, shit happens like that. But I'm talking about just uh, on, you know, non meme situations and that's that's not to discredit masvidal's knockout which was beautiful it's it's just saying like i I feel like they don't understand the little intricate details of like bro like real side control chest on chest like you're not just getting back up right away like so i don't know Uh, there's a whole separate conversation to be had on on what damage actually is and if you know someone has your back and is threatening for a rear naked choke for four minutes and you punch them in the face because you literally don't have any other defensive route that that's not damage i mean you know they're they're, so we could talk for a long time about what damage actually is but yeah didn't mean Um, to segue us too much no, because I could go on forever. I just feel like, you know, I just feel I'm just going to keep my feelings to myself. Um, now, before we talk about the main event of the prelims, which features the hot prospect Gabriel Bonfim taking on the, uh, you know, the seasoned vet Trevin Giles, I'd like everyone to do me a huge favor and smash the like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. 
And then also do me a huge favor and follow Brett Apple. Oh, it's funny because I'm pointing at you here, but based on the cameras, it looks like I'm pointing at Tim. So I'd like you guys to please follow Brett at Brett Apple and follow uh, Tim at Tim Z, Timmy Z. Why the fuck is it not just technical, Tim? Thank you. Um, because I made this Twitter account, like, I think uh, just a really long time ago. And I don't know. They, he he told me to change it, Brett, but now it's like an inside joke. Now I'm not going to change it because it's kind of like an inside joke between Brett and I. But I probably should. You well, know, for well like, now I'm telling you to change it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, or maybe, maybe that will get me to finally do it. So Yeah, I mean, not that there's... Not that there's anything wrong with your name. I mean, I'm I'm a South Park fan too, but I'm just saying, uh, like, uh, you know, unless technical Tim is taken, I mean, you, you don't yeah, want I'll some 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 fucking weirdo to get this technical Tim and then run off with your brand name and yeah, whatever. You know? So, but anyways, um, I forgot what I was gonna say. So let's just move. Oh, oh yeah, what I was gonna say. Last thing, you know, follow my boys. Hit me up with the with the like, with the subscribe, and then when this is done please leave me a comment. Now, main event of the prelims in the welterweight division, we got Trevin Giles. He's 16 and four, uh, taking on Gabriel Bonfim, who's 14 and up. And currently they got it. Gabriel Bonfim minus 325. The comeback on Trevin Giles is plus 255. So gentlemen, I pride myself on my ability to find my prospects and you know, the fans of the show have heard me talk about this ad nauseum, like Max betting, Yan Xiaonan in her debut. Like, so I, I really take a lot of pride. And, you know, when I see a prospect and, and, you know, you want to see how far they're going to go, Jamal Hill since day one, you know, but, but, but here's the thing Jamal Hill was plus 160 versus Jimmy Crute, right? Like, that's value. Gabriel Bonfim, he's the hot prospect, but he's minus 325. So it's like, am I really paying to, to like figure out if he's ready or not for this test. I think he probably passes it. Look, what I like about the kid is that firstly, he, he, he's very athletic. He's got the size, but like back to the power guillotine talk, we were talking about how like, you know, it's it like, okay, a no arm, excuse me, uh, an arm in guillotine is kind of like a low percentage, but a power guillotine, you get one of those. And especially against a long man, like Trey waters, what are, what are Trey uh, waters attributes? six foot five with a 77 inch reach okay you get into a power uh, a power guillotine against a guy with those physical attributes they're called long man chokes for a reason and this dude uh gabriel bonfim uh passes his guard and gets a beautifully executed von flu choke which you don't often see off of power guillotine attempts so right then and there i was like Okay, I was like, all right, all right, I'm 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 paying attention. And then Muniz insta-subs him, beautiful guillotine. Um, So he can defend guillotines, and he can also win via guillotine. He's won via Darce. He's won via rear naked choke, arm triangles, triangles, the whole bit. So looks like he's been doing his thing. Um, it's just, you know, Trevin Giles has been around the block. I mean, he beat Romando Lidze, controversial or not. He competed with Romando Lidze, who's currently a top five or ten guy. And he's been able to set back certain prospects along the way on the flip side he's also made you know some big bonehead mistakes like he'll be winning a fight and then he'll randomly be like woo and just he just does some a bunch of dumbass shit a lot of questionable stuff he'll be winning fights and then get tapped out in the third round of fights that he was clearly up ahead so and then now he's starting to get used to the to the welterweight division i thought he's looked questionable um so this is going to let us know where gabriel's at so i'm I don't want to say the words I'm on the fence about Gabriel because I do think he's a stud. The only thing is I'm not, I haven't, you know, come to the conclusion of 
how far I project this this prospect going yet. I'm still trying to figure out exactly where he's at, right? And this is the fight that's going to let me know that. And unfortunately, at minus 325, I'm not going to pay to find out. But, I mean, he should win this, but I don't know. So what I want to know, Tim, is where do you kind of view you know, Gabriel as a prospect. This is a serious prospect. Is this a guy that's going to win a couple here and fizzle out? Like, 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 what's the deal? Um, this is a coward answer, but I'm not really sure. Like, it's like he hasn't his competition levels, like outside the UFC, wasn't great. And then we've seen him what in like five minutes in the UFC. So I'm always at like a data collecting spot for fighters like this, you know. Um, and Giles like isn't awful you know like he can kind of he's like relatively well-rounded he's ufc level like you know he's had some banana peel performances where he hasn't looked great but like, i understand why bonfim's a favorite i do want to tape this fight though before i go like too too far into it but like my initial thoughts uh there's the only fight i haven't taped but the, my initial thoughts were just kind of like i just don't know how good bonfim actually is and i'm a little worried he's being a bit overvalued after two quick fights like how many times have we seen someone get overrated after a finish you know so that's like where my concern is and i do know like giles isn't perfect at all but he is ufc level and he can maybe test giles if he or he can maybe test um bonfim if he extends the fight you know so i'm a little like i'm i'm not interested in like a parlay leg or anything here but brett like what do you think because i i, I want to look into bonfim's tape a little more uh, Brett, before you go, let me tee this up for you because Trevin Giles, so it's like he drops the 70s, right, which was never his – I mean, you know he started off the UFC at light heavyweight, possibly even heavyweight. He might have even been at heavyweight at first, but then 205, um, then 185, now 70s, right? And basically he lets us know where prospects are. Like how did Michael Morales handle him? Michael Morales got him out of there in the first round. But then that Lewis Kose fight, a clear win for 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 Trevin, but didn't show you something that makes you feel like this guy's got you know a high ceiling in the weight class. Preston Parsons fight that was kind of you know a situation like this where you're testing out the prospect. The prospect did pretty fucking good. It was it was a 50-50 fight that could have gone either way. Is Gabriel Bonfim truly that phenom prospect that's going to kind of blow him out the water like Michael Morales did? Or do you view it more as it could be a 50-50 fight either way? I mean, I don't know either. I lean toward Bonfim winning and winning dominantly only because, you know, Giles in his four UFC losses, he's been finished all four times. He's been knocked out multiple times. He's been submitted multiple times. I, I'm I'm really still frustrated that he beat Preston Parsons because Parsons, I thought, looked pretty damn good against him for 15 minutes. And, you know, that I mean, Giles fairly got the win, but, like, Giles just doesn't produce any offense. You know, he he doesn't even land three strikes per minute. He's he's clearly beating Luis Cose, landing 25 strikes in 15 minutes. He can wrestle a little bit, but, like, he gets hurt often. He was hurt against Parsons. He can be taken down. The issue with Bonfim is Bonfim's never lost. So it's a lot more difficult to identify flaws in fighters when they're winning in a minute, you know, and that's the other issue. He hasn't been to decision. I don't think so right now. He projects as a dangerous fighter. Who's going to win inside the distance when he wins. 
I think he can probably win decisions against lower tier of competition, but I don't think he projects to easily out wrestle guys for 15 minutes. The longer the fight goes, the more questions we have of him. We've seen him hurt before. So, I mean, the reason why I'm not excited about Giles is because it's not like, oh, this is the type of opponent to to test him, to really wrestle him heavily, to, you know, he Giles is going to land 100 significant strikes over 15 minutes. Giles doesn't really produce offense, so I think it's going to be, I mean, this is this is not too difficult of a test for Bonfim, and if Bonfim loses, I think that'll say a lot more about where Bonfim's at than where Giles is at. If Bonfim loses, I don't think he's, you know, a real legitimate prospect, but I think he's going to be the more explosive boxer early. I think he has a better chance to win by knockout. I think he has submission grappling upside, but like you watch him destroy what's his face, Lazez in 49 seconds. And like, I, he, he looked pretty questionable defensively in those 49 seconds, despite landing explosive punches he was pretty wide open so i think giles has some knockout upside i don't think my expectation would be that bonfim can't keep up that pace for 15 minutes so it's the same questions we ask of all these fighters who are undefeated all these wins inside the distance and, and usually the answer is they're not as good as they look almost all the time so i don't think bonfim is going to be some championship level prospect uh but I do favor him in this fight and I expect him to outproduce Giles to a, a, a finish at some point. Yeah. I mean, I have to sit back and wait just because of the price. I mean, my pick is Bonfim, but um, this is more of like, let's see how good of a prospect you are. You know, this fight will let us know a lot and you know, uh, we'll uh, make talks going forward about what the next uh, step is. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Derek the Black Beast Lewis. He's 26 and 11, taking on Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao, who's 21 and 8. Currently, they got it. Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao, minus 225. The comeback on Derek Lewis is plus 190. So, firstly, shout out to the UFC KO King, uh, Derek Lewis, a guy that's given us so many amazing memories. Beat Francis and Ganu. That's not an amazing memory. That fight sucked. But he still has a win over Francis and Gano. It's kind of like he beat the the last uh, generation of heavyweights. And Gano, Blades, Volkov. Like, he was doing his thing for the longest time. I just question how he's going to do against this new generation. The Aspinalls, the John Jones. You saw how he did against Gan. Um, So, I, I think that, you know, Derek Lewis... Even in his prime, there were a lot of holes in his game. You know, like he'd get taken down in these in these fights, but he he's got a really good get up game, a really sneaky get up game from side control that I really like. Where um, he goes belly down and then he explodes right back up. And then when you talk about that blast, uh, that black beast blitz, I mean, there's a reason he's got the most knockouts, not just in heavyweight history, gentlemen, in UFC history. So, I mean, the guy's a legend. I love the guy. Um, it's just that, unfortunately. He's kind of at the tail end. Um, he's not receiving shots as well as he used to. I mean, not that he was ever Mr. Durable, but just saying, like, now he's been face-planted in two of his last three fights, right? Um, albeit against heavy hitters, but this is another heavy hitter. This is the heavyweight division. 
And Hogero de Lima is a guy that I actually used to fade all the time because he was Mr. Quick Tap City. I mean, I don't know if y'all saw that Nikita Krilov fight where I cashed against him or the Antigulov fight where I cashed against him. Like, now granted, these were at 205. Um, but then he goes up to heavyweight against Struve, 10 8 round in, in round one, second round pulls a stunt, gets submitted. So it's like, yeah, like he's been known to pull massive stunts. Um, but I think that he's starting to kind of feel at home in this weight class. And one thing I liked in the Romana fight was that Romanov, he so he tapped him out with a forearm choke, which you know you don't often see in MMA, but Hogero didn't tap. That, that was the first time, like, normally Hojero's a quick tapper. Hojero, like, will tap the shit that's not even locked in. Like I said, watch the Krylov fight. Watch the Antigulov fight. Against Romanov, you said, fuck it, I'm going to let myself go to sleep. So maybe uh, mentally that was a big step in the right direction. That he's got, he's got uh, you know, we toughened him up a little bit. But the, the biggest thing here is that Derek Lewis has slowed down dramatically. I, I, I've gained word that this is his retirement fight. Um, that often doesn't end well. And, and you just match them up like stylistically. Like, yeah, a few years ago, Derek Lewis, you know, I do think he knocks this guy out because he was able to come back in fights and he was able to, you know, like I said, he'd get taken down, but explode back up and then black uh, beast blitz you and do all these things. It's just, he's a lot slower now. His durability has really gone off a cliff. He's not getting back up from the takedowns like he used to. Um, and Hojero de Lima, he keeps his hands up nice and high. He's got very heavy low kicks. We've seen fights where he's been able to take people down and grind them out for three rounds. We've also seen fights where he's been able to go out there and get guys out of there earlier. Arlovsky, Ben Rothwell. So um, I took de Lima at minus 175. It's currently minus 225. And yeah, am I sketched about the fact that if this fight gets this fight gets extended, we're in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, you know, the guy is a gasser, but it's not like Derek Lewis is Mr. You know, Mr. Uh, Lance Armstrong EPO cardio or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I just think that Hojero de Lima, while historically speaking, he doesn't win this fight. Because, again, like I said, Lewis is a guy that beat Nganu, Volkov, Blades. Um, it's just now I think de Lima's catching him at the right time. The leg kicks. He can mix and takedowns if he want. He keeps his hands up nice and high. Don't, don't be surprised to see some left hooks land. So I'm going Marco Sodero de Lima via first round knockout. Yeah, I mean, the 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 fighters that Lewis has beaten, like you just mentioned, Volkov, he got outstruck 120, 121 to 39 and was 10 seconds away from losing that fight. Blades, he got outstruck 28 to 7. Uh, I forget who the in Ghana in Ghana we landed like 20 strikes in 15 minutes. So in, in the in the best fight of the year, right, right. I mean, Derek Lewis is the same guy he's always been, just a worse version of him. I can't remember. I honestly can't remember the last time I've picked him to win. It hasn't been in the last several years. Um, some you know, most of, recently I've gotten it right, but I've definitely been on the wrong end of it a few times. And Delima looks way better than he ever has at any point throughout his career, in my opinion. He's um, a more competent, well-rounded fighter than he's ever been. He looks more confident as, you know, his cardio looks better than it has been. Um, game planning looks better. Like he just is a pretty decent fighter now in the heavyweight division. And I think he's the rightful favorite. Um, obviously Derek Lewis can bonk him and put him out, but I think Lima probably has more knockout upside. I liked Lima's leg kicks in his last matchup against Cortez Costa. De Lima has wrestling upside. I think my biggest concern here is that like 
you can't really compare Sergey Spivak and DeLima. I mean, Spivak landed six takedowns before he was able to submit Derek Lewis in the first round. And like Lima might land a takedown in round one and Derek Lewis will probably get back up. And then if he does, is Lima diving on another takedown? I, I, I don't know. We haven't really seen DeLima land takedowns in, in volume before. I mean, he's landed three takedowns a couple times in his career. Lewis is still going to have to knock him out to win. Um, so I definitely favor Lima, but I am, I guess my fear is that Lima has some success early, gets a little bit tired at elevation while grappling, but not having a ton of success. Lewis just standing back up and then it kind of becomes just an ugly, slower paced fight in the second half of, uh, uh, you know, in the, the latter rounds. But most likely, I think Lima finds a way to get Lewis out of there early, either by knockout or submission. He's got a pretty good arm triangle choke, probably finds his way into top position, at least for a little bit. So I, I like the Lima here. It's it's never a comfortable pick at, at minus 200 XX, but uh, he, he's looked good recently, and, and I think he's a rifle favorite. A little uh, MMA trivia. Do you all remember a dude named Paulo Filio back in the day? Mm-hmm. Yep. Remember uh, in the WEC, so yeah, yeah. So he fought Chael Sonnen for the belt, but Philo missed weight, mm-hmm. um, so he ended up shipping the belt to Chael Sonnen. So Marco Sogero de Lima has a win over Paulo Filio back in 2010. That's uh, something I did not know. So because Paulo Filio was the fucking man back in the day, but that's irrelevant. I just thought that was pretty cool. All right, technical Tim. Break it down for us. Yeah, I'll add just a few points because you guys have done a good job breaking it down. But uh, I like I picked Delima to win. I would not play him minus two thirty now. Like I, I just wouldn't. Um, I don't think he's gone up against a hitter quite like Lewis. Like he's a better technical striker, and I think there's a good chance he knocks Lewis out. But I wouldn't play him at this line anymore. Um, I will say it's kind of kind of interesting. Delima's how many times do you think he's been knocked down in the UFC? zero yeah which is kind of like weird because he like i I just like think of him as a guy who can crumble but it's because he gets submitted every time like five of his seven losses have been by submission lewis has no submissions right but um i i think like delima at range i've always talked about how like it's sometimes dangerous to try to grapple lewis because you can gas yourself out leave yourself vulnerable you can get put on bottom or he can kill you like tabora and other fights like and even lewis like lewis came in for a takedown and got knocked out and like blades has a you know a problem of not grappling when he should at times but like he was winning the distance striking exchanges fine in that fight and then whenever he went for a takedown sometimes when you close range on lewis you can get knocked out and if like delima i could see him decide to strike early but if he doesn't and there's a good chance he knocks lewis out right away like lewis's durability I, I cashed on gone by TKO at like plus 150 on him. I've always talked about how the durability is not there. The leg kick, he can leg kick TKO him. But if he doesn't get Lewis out of there and he starts grappling, Lewis, I I, I don't think of DeLima as some like expert top control guy. I don't think he's going to like easily hold Lewis down. I could see Lewis like creating a scramble, there being like an inside exchange and a clinch or him getting on top and landing something big. So I, I, I do think Lewis can win this fight and it's kind of an interesting fight. 
And I could see like Delima deciding to grapple. And it's like, and the only extended, real extended striking fight we've seen uh, Delima in, he got outlanded by Ivanov, you know? So it's like, if he doesn't knock Lewis out early, I could see this getting like a little sketchy. Like I could see it opening up for Lewis. You don't think of Lewis as like a guy to win fights later, but just like he is a guy who can maintain explosions for a few rounds, you know? So um, I think Delima is the right pick, but minus 230, easy pass for me. Yeah, well, I'm lucky. I'm lucky I hit it minus 175, but I would have loved to hit it minus 125, but I still... Um, I'm still beating the line by a, g- a good bit here, so let's see what happens. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Roman Kopilov. He's ten and two, taking on Claudio Hibero, who's eleven and three. Currently, they got it. Roman Kopilov minus two ten. The comeback on Claudio Ribeiro's plus one seven. So Kopilov's an interesting cat because when he first came into the UFC, I mean, if you get submitted by Carl Roberson, um, I'm going to be looking to fade you and. Then the next fight is just his output has just been horrendous throughout his UFC career. But so the Dicharico fight, like I don't think he looked that good until the very end when he started putting it, when he started getting a little more confidence. And then that finishing sequence was like disgusting. And it's like when he actually lets his hands go, they're super clean. Um and I think his grappling has been getting better too. You'd think a, a Russian's grappling would be A1, but this is more of a striking Russian. Um, but that last fight against Puna, like the output was not an issue. That's the most output he's landed in any fight. And he was really mixing it up. So is it just a matter of like, he just kind of had to get his feet wet, kind of had to feel more comfortable. And now this is the version of Coppola we can expect going forward. The only reason I'm hesitant is because you know, I, I can't just judge him off one fight, right? Because the other fights were super low volume and, you know, I was wanting to fade this guy for a reason, but he did have that one amazing performance last time out. So it's like, how do we view this? Is it like, is he feeling more comfortable now? Is this what we can expect going forward? Because Ribeiro, I kind of view Ribeiro as like a Johnny Walker, Michelle Pereira kind of just, you know, a wild, dangerous striker, like an early Michelle Pereira, back when he used to take more risks. Big leg kicks. I could see those leg kicks chopping down Kopalov. And you can't sleep on this guy's one-hitter quitter either. But Kopalov, definitely the cleaner striker here. Um, just, Brett, what's your opinion about how, like, we used to view Kopalov as, like, one of the lowest output strikers to all of a sudden last fight he really put on a clinic? Like, is it a was that a one-time thing? Was it a matchup thing? Is it what we can expect going forward? Like, like, what's your opinion? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, Roberson is pretty low volume. So, you know, him slowing the pace down there doesn't shock me. Dariev can slow the pace down in fights. Deke Tirico can fight at a slow pace where Puna is more aggressive. So maybe that played an impact. But for me, I mean, this just comes down to Kopilov versus Puna because I, 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 was on Puna in that fight. And I thought Kopilov looked incredible. I mean, I thought that was a, a, just an A plus performance from him um, and has me easily picking him against Ribeiro. And maybe I'm just going to be fooled, but I am very, very low on Ribeiro. He is pretty terrible defensively. And like, like I'm, I'm not sure what his tools are. What, what is, if his path to victory is landing these 
wide looping hooks and, and knocking out Kopilov, I just don't see that working at a high rate, especially because he can't fight at a high pace. He slows down. He's not a decision guy. He has questionable durability. durability. And I also kind of think Kopilov's probably the better grappler. And, and maybe that will be incorrect as well. But, you know, because Kopilov's not a great defensive wrestler himself, defensive grappler, I should say. But Ribeiro's pretty bad defensively too. So I just see Ribeiro as a fighter who can win some fun fights with wild early knockouts, but is just really, really liable defensively, really liable in extended fights. And there's just no way for me to pick him against the Kopilov that I saw against Soriano. And if that same Kopilov doesn't show up, the analysis changes a little bit, but I think Kopilov is far more technical. I'm picking him to win by knockout here. And I, I mean, if the odds keep going in this direction, I don't think he's a terrible bet. If I'm being completely honest, Tim. Um, I, so I was high on a, a copy lock before his UFC debut. If you watch him in fight night global, it looked a lot like that Soriano fight. Like, and some of those guys were guys who like, um, fought in the UFC before or like who were actually pretty good middleweights. And he looked awesome. I think one of the reasons why he didn't look great against Robertson is they're both southpaws and he, that rear left body kick, when that's open for him, that kind of like is like the foundation of his game and it kind of gets the rest of his game going. And I feel like that was an issue. Robertson's a southpaw. Soriano got eaten alive with those and so has a lot of guys. And I feel like Ribeiro could get eaten alive here with that. Um, and then Duryev, I just feel like Kapilov's a good like, first layer takedown defense guy at 89%, but Duryev, if he actually gets on top of you, that's when Kapilov struggles. So I think that's why he kind of struggled in those fights, and it didn't surprise me that he ended up looking really good then against DiCherico and Soriano, two orthodox fighters uh, who will strike with him, and that's where he's good. And I um, I agree with Brett. Like, I, I feel like Ribeiro will probably have to knock him out to win. I just feel like Kapilov will probably be the better round-winning striker. He, he can fight all day too. Like in Fight Night Global, he would fight five rounds and just batter people. Um, so yeah, like I, I think in an extended fight, I trust him more, trust his cardio more. Uh Ribeiro could maybe land some leg kicks, could maybe clip him early. Um, maybe he could get a land to take down like he did in his last fight. If he I mean Kapilov isn't great on his back. There's like little chances for Ribeiro, but overall, like if this line came in to like minus one seventy or something, I would bet copy love like they're borderline like i almost like him already uh but i think he'll get this done now next up in the welterweight division we got jake matthews he's 18 and 6 taking on darius flowers who's 12 and 5 and currently they got it jake matthews minus 260 the comeback on darius flowers is plus 215 true or false jake matthews is under 30 years of age true true crazy right it is yeah. crazy. I almost tweeted about that earlier this week, but then I'm like, oh, everyone's going to know that. But it's he's been around forever. And he, like, do you think he's in his prime now? Like, do you think he's still developing? Or can we finally say, like, he's he is who he's going to be? He's a finished product, in my opinion. 100% finished product. I mean, yeah. it's just crazy. He's 28. Like, I've been watching this guy for how long now? And, um, I mean, and I've been betting against them for how long now, you know, uh, James Vick was like plus 150 plus 160. That was like the night that Rob Whitaker knocked out Tavares. Like, um, 
Yeah, so I've been cashing against this guy a long time. I picked Semmelsberger against him, who was like plus two something. Um, Jake, so Jake is ex- Jake is experienced. Um, Jake has paid his dues, but Jake is a flake. Like one day, Jake is going to beat Lijing Liang and cost me money, and then the next day, Jake is going to lose to Andrew Holbrook. So that right there. He just cannot be trusted. I mean, yeah, should he be favored here? Of course. The UFC experience, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing with Darius Flowers. I mean, he's basically he's a physical specimen. He can get knockouts. He can slam dudes like you saw in Contender Series. And, and the team of that other guy were trying to ride it off like the kid had an injury. Yeah, why do you think the kid had an injury? He got slammed on his fucking head, man. And then he tried to go for like some kind of, I forgot what submission he was trying to go for, and he like blew out his shoulder doing that. Get And they were trying to say it wasn't because of the slam. Jonah Hill cut, cut, you know. Um, but back to this, it's just like, I don't trust Jake Matthews. I never have, and I never will, um, especially at a price like this. Should Jake Matthews win this fight? 100%. He should win this fight. I mean, he's like I said, the experience, he, he's technically better as well. You know, it's just like um, this whole when he beat Fialio, this whole Jake Matthews 2.0 bullshit. Like, bro, like Fialio is like one of the most hittable guys like in the division. Um, so just because his hands look good there and from time to time, he will have a good performance, but then he'll go life and death with Bojan Velichkovic and, and, you know, and, oh, I know, I know Brett remembers, remember uh, when Ronda Rousey fought Holly Holm? So on the undercard of that fight, Jake Matthews fought this dude, Akbar Areola, and Jake Matthews was a minus 1,000 favorite. Minus 1,000. I'm not exaggerating. And, like, he got, like, rocked with a head kick and, like, gave everyone a, a big sweat. So, like, you do not trust Jake Matthews. And, and Darius, look, he's explosive. He's physical. He's got knockout power. He can pick you up and slam you. So, I mean, it's not going to surprise me if he drops Jake Matthews. It's not going to surprise me if he wins some UFC fights. It's just I have to pick Matthews because of the reasons I mentioned. Just, like, he's so much more ahead of him on, on a experience and on a technical level. But Jake is a flake. And if he drops the ball here and you bet him, you got no one to blame but yourself because you've you've been given ample evidence that this dude has a history of dropping the ball. All that said, pure pick Jake Matthews. I, I, I ain't laying the price. Yeah, I mostly agree with you. I think I was on on your show for that for his fight against Fialo, he, where he was an underdog, and I was like, Oh, you know, I, I was on Matthews there and I thought he would grapple his way to victory and he ended up knocking Fialo out. Matthews wins Fialo, Diego Sanchez, Emil Meek, and Rostam Akman. You know, he hasn't really beaten good competition. Um, in Besides a long, long Li Jing time. Liang, which makes no fucking sense. Yeah, I know. And he looked great in that fight, too. And th- there's just, and I was kind of on Semmelsberger in, in, in the last fight because, you know, for, for, for the inconsistency reasons, and Matthews was overpriced there. I think Matthews is the obvious favorite here. It's really hard to favor Darius Flowers on very short notice. Um, but, well, yeah, I can't help thinking Flowers is a little bit live if the fight plays out in the feet, which 
I, I don't know. I, I mean, do you, do you think Matthews is going to grapple? Because if he's going to, and, and this more comes into a DraftKings angle, because I, I still need to decide my, anal- well, my analysis there. I don't think anything when it comes to Jake Matthews. Like he's completely untrustworthy. I have no yeah. idea what he, what, he, what he's gonna do. He, he, like one would think Matthews would try and grapple a little bit against Flowers, who's been submitted a bunch of times in his career, and Matthews should be far better. But and I think that is one outcome. But the other outcome is they strike, and I still probably favor Matthews there. But Flowers is pretty aggressive, and he hits pretty hard, and. Matthews was just knocked down three times by Semmelsberger. I know it's a different matchup, but I, at this point, I just wouldn't be surprised by really any result from Jake Matthews. The line's probably correct just because I, I don't rate flowers too, too highly, but Matthews can make this fight a lot harder for himself than it needs to be. And if he does that, n- none of us will be terribly surprised. Technical Tim. Um, yeah, I mean Matthews is a rifle favorite. Like, what what did he open up at? Like, he opened. So I I said I wrote this up for Brett's website, and I I capped him seventy percent, which is basically around minus two fifty fifty five, which he is now. He opened at minus four hundred, so steam a little bit of value came in on flowers or a little bit of a line movement, but um, he's such a better submission grappler than flowers. Like that's one thing. Like so much better on the mat. Um, so of course I have to pick him to win. The issue is, you know how many takedowns he attempted in the first two rounds of uh, Semmelsberger? Zero. And he started grappling too late. He was already down on the cards, you know? Um, but again, like, he's better everywhere. So, like, if this got to minus 200, I would honestly, at that point, Dan, I would probably then take a risk on Matthews, like minus 200, because he's a better fighter. And I don't necessarily think he has to game plan here, like, as much as he did against Semmelsberger. Like, Semmelsberger, I favor on the feet versus him. I don't favor Flowers in a 15-minute uh, striking fight, but I do think he could get knocked out. So I still would pick – like I, I, have, I think Matthews like should win this fight because I don't think he necessarily has to grapple. If he does, he could dominate. I've seen Flowers mounted by guys who weren't very good on the mat, and I don't even know if he's won by submission in his career. You'd have to look that up, uh, Flowers. Um, so there's not really a threat there. But I do think – I think he's going to have to knock Matthews out. And Matthews has never been knocked out in the UFC. It didn't look good that he got knocked down three times versus Semmelsberger, and that's pretty much what's in everybody's mind. But he's generally been pretty durable. The only other time he got knocked down was that home card, you know? So he's generally been a tough guy to get out of there. And so ultimately I have to pick him to win. But it is a little – it is a little uncomfortable because he, he can make his life easier by grappling and – your guess is as good as mine if, if he's going to do that or not, you know. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got CJ Vergara. He's 11 and four, taking on Vinicius Salvador, who's 14 and five. Currently, they got it. Um, CJ Vergara minus 140. The comeback on Vinicius Salvador is plus 120. So, this is my next bet. I took a uh, Vinicius Salvador, I think either plus 150 or plus 155. Um, in the spot. And I also bet uh, Victor Altamirano against Vinicius Salvador in that last fight. So I bet against him in his debut. Now I'm betting on him in his next fight. And I got a lot of respect for CJ Vergara. I mean, the guy's a dog, as you saw in his last fight, as you see in all his fights. Uh, he's one of those guys that can take that ass whooping up front. And if he's still there, um, he's going to come on hard in those later rounds. Um, it's just that for CJ Vergara to cover a minus 170 price tag, which is where I faded him at, um, 
you can't just begin your ass whoop and hope to like come back in a fight and, and stuff like that. Not to mention guys that give Venetia Salvador the biggest issues are guys that take him down. Guess how many uh, takedowns CJ Vergara has landed in his contenders and UFC history? Zero. So the guy's not a takedown threat. The guy is just kind of like a remember when Brian Kelleher first came into the UFC, like kind of like a junkyard dog type guy. Like that's, that's my concern, I guess. But like um, when people ask, why does Shannon Ross have such a bad chin? Uh, uh, think of Venetia Salvador for that. Like Venetia Salvador was out there looking like fucking Davison Figueroa against Ross. And then Ross comes into the UFC and gets finished in under a minute his next two fights. So this kid, Salvador, completely ruined the chin and the career of Shannon Ross. Um, you know, props, props to Ross, man. You stepped in there, respect, but damn, this guy ended you, you know? Um, and yeah, he's had some questionable fights on the regional scene, some lower level opponents, but he's also been in there with some good guys. Jafel Filio's in the UFC who just got a nice win. Um, the guys he's been losing to are all like legit prospects with good records. Um, he's a black belt under the Amanda Rebos family. And he's kind of like one of these unorthodox guys that has big power. He's kind of long for the weight class. And I went on his Instagram and he's been like training in the mountains which i don't know where but at least like you you're addressing the elevation you're addressing that salt lake city altitude so like that's important for me especially for a guy who's been criticized for gassing in the past so like i like the fact that you're taking it seriously and uh when i bet victor altamirano against him in that debut i'm not gonna sit here and look you guys in the eye with a straight face and act like that shit wasn't a sweat that was a very close competitive fight. And, you know, Altamirano, former LFA champ, um, and is, you know, similar tier to CJ Vergara, maybe even a little better. So I just, at best, I think this should be a pick em. Um, I mean, if CJ got the shit beaten out of him against Lacerda last fight, and I love me some Lacerda. Lacerda is the best 0-4 fighter in UFC history, man. That's why they're keeping him around, because when you put on shows like that, like, we, those are the fights the fans want to see and a different ref would have stopped that fight on a different night, man. Um, and that's neither here nor there. All I'm trying to say is that I don't think there's going to be some walk in the park for CJ. He's not a takedown threat. He's like a comeback threat. So if you get a comeback as a favorite, okay, props to you. But at plus 150, plus 155, I, I had to take my chances here. I think that Vinicius has the power. I think he can match the pace. Um, and I just think it's going to be a dog fight. And I think that we have KO upside. So for that reason, I took Vinicius Salvador, I think plus 150 here. Yeah. I mean, the line you got is fine and your, your analysis makes sense. I, I don't like fully agree. I, I just don't think Salvador is good. Like, I, I think he's actually quite bad uh, just as a talent. He's really, really awful defensively. He very like, very far on the non-technical side of, of striking, which is going to, I just don't project him to win many fights at the UFC level. He's not really a wrestling threat. His defensive wrestling sucks. You mentioned the chin of Shannon Ross and I hate to break it to you, but that was happening to, to Shannon Ross throughout his entire regional career as well. I don't know if he was getting finished completely, but he was getting dropped badly by very, very poor regional fighters throughout a long, a, a large part of his career. Obviously, Salvador has power, has knockout upside. We just saw Vergara get hurt against Daniel Lacerda. Um, and he, he's dangerous. He's a dangerous fighter. He he was 
you know, it's still, I credit his danger to why he landed three knockdowns against Shannon Ross as well. But like CJ Vergara fights, you know, with a guard and Vinicius Salvador does not. And CJ Vergara can go a very, very hard three rounds. He's got great cardio and Salvador is more questionable in that realm. And I think again, the, the line that you got is fine. And I, I think the value is probably on your side, but this is far from a spot where I'd be at anywhere confident in Salvador. I picked Vergara just because I think he's a, a better technical fighter. I think he's better defensively. I like his cardio more. Um, but yeah, I kind of expect it to be back and forth for a while and, and more of a, a slot fest. Both guys are, are fairly low level in my opinion, but I do lean Vergara as the pick for technical purposes. Yeah, I mean, it's just, have you ever seen Vergara cover a minus 170? It's like every fight that he wins is like a comeback. Like, it's like... Yeah, I mean, that argument is fine, but, like, does Salva... You know, I mean, coming back against Clayton Rodriguez, Clayton Rodriguez is a pretty good talent. So, like, yeah, he had to come back and and beat Clayton Rodriguez, but am I going to fault him for that not necessarily and if anything the comeback against lacerda it looks great it kind of shows how durable and how great his cardio actually is so you can make the argument that that these comebacks are are uh, you know quite positive things for vergara he still may find himself in trouble in a close fight and lose it um but just because he's having a tough time early against dangerous opponents and then coming back and beating them. I'm not knocking him completely for that. No, not at all. You know, I love my comeback guys. You know, I've been a Cheeto guy for a long time. I'm just saying that when I'm betting Cheeto on these fights, it's like plus 150. It's like, you know, minus 170 for a guy that's not going to make a stamp on things. I just, I, I just can't do it. So, um, and and like who's to say that you know Vinicius isn't the guy that actually finally puts down um CJ because all these guys have been hurting him. Some guys have finished him. Like, so I just see it being like uh, honest. Like, I, I don't see a, a 30-27 CJ possibility. And and if that's the case, then that just means my read was completely off. Like, I don't see C and CJ's net never landed a takedown. So I just see it mm-hmm. being a toe-to-toe brawl and yeah, plus one fifty. Let let me get in on that because, like, at the end of the day, f- fuck fuck all this stuff. Like like like, I line it a pick'em, maybe a pick'em with a slight lean on Vergara. Okay, he's got more UFC experience, whatever. But like, I wouldn't go higher than what minus one fifteen to minus one twenty five. But minus one seventy, I'm like, come on. Like like yeah, like, I think that's totally fair. So yeah, Timmy. Yeah, uh, similar similar thoughts to like to the Brett whatnot. Like, am I playing Vergara at minus like one fifty seventy? No, um, but I, I picked him to win. Um, cardio is the thing. Altamariano like outlanded Salvador in distance fifty four thirty nine. But to defend Salvador, he Altamariano sneakily shot twenty two takedown attempts in that fight. So it's hard to get in like a striking rhythm. I don't think Vergara has ever attempted a takedown in the UFC. So I think there would be more like continuity in the striking exchanges which could give salvador you know a little more comfort but i just like i i feel like salvador is just like not very technical and gets kind of tires out but again 
Alex Mariano attempted takedowns in that fight what and whatnot. But even Ross was starting to land on him. Like he got Ross got knocked down like 30 times in the first round. And then all of a sudden he it looked like he was gonna gas him out, and then Ross got knocked out again because he has no chin. Um so I, I like Vergara's like cardio upside, but I, I expect the it to be very, very competitive early, you know. Um and Vergara was knocked down a couple times in his last fight, but he does seem like a tough guy. He's never been knocked out in his career, so that's good for him. Um, but I don't know. I, I think the line is like reasonable. Slight favorite Vergara. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, and I mean, give credit to Altamirano. You mentioned how many takedowns he attempted. And dude was also fucking throwing like hook kicks to the face. Yeah. And Vinicius didn't even flinch. So let's see. Um, I, I just had to at that price. Now, next up. In the welterweight division, we got Matthew Semi the Jedi Semmelsberger. He's eleven and five, uh, welcoming Urosh Medic, who's eight and one, to the welterweight division. And currently, they got it. Um, Semmelsberger just depends where you look. I see up to minus two thirty-five in some spots. Come back on Urosh's plus one seventy. So I took Semmelsberger here at minus one sixty-four. And I am sketched out that a lot of people are on it. I, I hate being on the same side as everybody. It's a very uncomfortable feeling, but uh, it does give me solace beating a line by 40 to 50 cents. I, I always love doing that, right? But um, I was tipped off um, that Urosh is, you know, coming in here with an injury in, in addition to um, – in addition to the fact that there was about to be a huge market shift, which there was. So I got in. I beat the line by 50 cents. Um now, regarding Urosh moving up to 70 on short notice, that's not my red flag. The dude's a big 55er. So I thought that Urosh would end up finishing his career at 70s anyway. So that I didn't give a shit about that. Um, what I was more so thinking about was that like when someone gave me the tip that, you know, this kid is dealing with an injury, I cross-examined it, got, went on his Instagram. And as recently as like late March, this dude was in a cast and he posted a video talking about how like so you know, he had this hand injury and he felt like it was getting better. And then he rushed back into the gym. Then he made it way worse. Then he got this surgery. Um, so now he's coming back and it's like people talk about he's this Alaska fighter. He's one of the better Alaska fighters. This ain't, this ain't like that. Uh, what's that? Terrence Mitchell. Is that the kid's name that fought? Uh, yeah. That, that fought the African um, mm -hmm. Cameron Simon. Uh, yeah. It's, this ain't that situation. There's like a good. Alaskan fighter, but be, saying that, a good Alaskan fighter that's been taken down by complete bums, um, but he is like a champion kickboxer. So like he's long and he's got good kicks, and when he gets you hurt, the flying knees will be there. Like I like Urosh. I think Urosh is dangerous. It's just like with Semmelsberger. Um, firstly, his defensive wrestling sucks, but his offensive wrestling, I think that here's where he can kind of be the bully a little bit, kind of accrue some top control. And then he's got like an insane knockdown rate. He's landed like what nine knockdowns and eight USC fights, something crazy like that. Someone was talking about how it's the power of the Jedi. I say you join the dark side. This dude will have 10 plus knockdowns. You know what I'm saying? But all, all that, all that bullshit aside, uh, getting the best of the line, having the more physical guy. And I think that he can have success banging with Urosh. Am I going to be nervous in those spots? Yes, because I do respect Urosh's striking. I mean, King's MMA, like he left his comfort zone in Alaska. It's not like he's training in fucking Alaska. He's training at King's MMA with Master Rafael Cordero. So he's making leaps every day. Um, it's just that defensively speaking, sometimes he has a bit of that tall man defense. And against a guy like Semmelsberger, who 
you know, he might be kind of a brute, you know, he might be kind of a meathead, but the boy can crack. And I have seen him mix in takedowns from time to time. So I think he's just kind of, kind of just be a little bit too physical for him. Kind of, kind of big brother him a little bit. So for that reason, uh, I took it and uh, I hope to cash here. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Um, yeah, like I, I favor Semmelsberger a bit. Like I think the line action makes sense. Um, he's more proven in extended fights. He's beaten better competition over extended fights. So I think that's fine. It's like, I feel like we didn't even know much about medic going until that end of that Morales fight. Like I still, I, I read my write up on it and I was like, he's generally just been finishing guys early or getting finished. And so I didn't really trust him. Um, credit to him in that fight he looked all right you know and it, the, the fight extended a little more and he maintained that danger so striking fights are high dangerous maybe he clips semmelsberger but semmelsberger's clearly like he, he's fought into the third round more he's fought to the cards more and he's fought better competition and i do agree like i see a physicality advantage as well so i'll pick him um semmelsberger's got good power but this should be a fun fight you know regardless if someone's injured or not and I expect these boys to crack a little bit. Brett? Yeah, I like Semmelsberger. I mean, I think Medic Medic can compete with Semmelsberger early just on pace. I mean, he's a, a decent technical striker. Semmelsberger absorbs more, more strikes than he lands. Medic has some knockout upside. I guess in theory, Medic can win a decision too. Like if it purely plays out in the fee, I would expect it to be somewhat competitive. Medic can win there. So he's never won by decision in his career. So projecting him to have success in the second half of the fight, I don't think I don't think we can, you know, project him to do that at a very high rate. Semmelsberger has the insane knockout rate like you knockdown rate like you mentioned. I guess it's just that Medic hasn't really looked good when he's faced adversity um turner kind of whooped him and i think there's potential for semmelsberger to exchange hurt medic and then find a finish because medic kind of melted and also semmelsberger has a grappling upside medic doesn't look great on the ground um semmelsberger isn't the most trustworthy grappler but you know, he averages more than a takedown for 15 minutes. I would project him for a couple takedowns in this fight over three rounds. So, yeah, I think Semmelsberger has more ways to win. Semmelsberger is far more experienced. I trust Semmelsberger over three rounds. So, I think I agree with the line value. I, I do think Medic can compete early, but unless he gets, unless he knocks Semmelsberger out early, I don't think he has too much win equity. And, and overall, I think it's a pretty decent spot for Semmelsberger. Last but not. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. One thing I was going to note. I know. I know we only have a few minutes, but I still am kind of worried about Semmelsberger minus two hundred because Medic. Like, we still don't know exactly what he is in three rounds. You know, so it's kind of like maybe he's very, maybe he's better than we think. You know, so I am a little worried about that. So it's a pass for me. But sorry about that, Dan. Go on. No, you're good, bro. And I, and I think that Medic is a potent finisher. I enjoy watching his fights. One hundred percent. Just. The injury mixed in with Semmelsberger um, being just so much more physical and having that clear path. You know, he can bang with him too, but uh, from time to time when Semmelsberger does decide to offensively wrestle, I've, I've seen real bums take down Medic. Not saying he's not improving. Um, I just think that you can kind of football tackle him a little bit and kind of just big brother him. But let's see. Let's see. I'm just glad I got the best of the line. I hate that everyone's on it, but. What, what can you do at the end of the day? Um, 
I'm more, you know, I'd rather get the best of the line and, and put stock into that than worry about what everyone else is on. So let's leave it at that. Last but not least in the flyweight division, we got Miranda Maverick. She's 11 and five, taking out Priscilla. Zombie girl, Cachoeira, who's 12 and four. Currently, they got it. Miranda Maverick, minus 255. The comeback on Cachoeira, plus 215. Uh, technical Tim, what you got to say about this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to, like, pick, you know, Cachoeira when she absorbs, like, over seven significant strikes per minute, and she can get grappled a bit. Like, Maverick's a more well-rounded and much more technical fighter. Um, and I don't know how much that Jasmine fight plays into, you, you know, like, Jasmine can actually defensively wrestle, and she. I think that fight told us more about Jasmine than Maverick. Maybe Maverick we overrated her a bit, but I also think Jasmine was underrated. And I played Jasmine like even money for that Thai kick Brazilian kickboxer two fights ago. You know, so so yeah. But anyway, I feel like I feel like the pressure of Cachoeira is sometimes a problem though, and she can hit hard. Like if Maverick decides not to go to wrestling, and so every now and then Cachoeira can stop first layer takedowns, and if she could keep it standing. Sometimes Maverick does like turtle up and get bothered by pressure. Even Jasmine was having striking success in that. But I feel like the grappling exchange is like tired Maverick out um, a bit. And I don't know if like the resistance of Cachoeira will be there with the defensive grappling. So I think you have to favor Maverick here. But Cachoeira has proven a lot of people wrong, you know, occasionally. And she's a goofy fighter to kind of break down. But I think Maverick's the rightful favorite. More pass to victory, grappling upside. And she's a more technical fighter overall. Yeah, and Brett, it's interesting because it's like Priscilla brings kind of intangibles to women's MMA that go a long way, like one-punch knockout power. That's not something you often see. And she's able to weather storms and come back in fights um, and kind of break girls a little bit uh, like she did to, you know, that disgraced Gina Mazzani. So I, I think that here, I mean, the way she knocked out Lipsky was beautiful, the way she knocked out dobson i know it's dobson but still i mean one punch knockout in a women's mma fight another one punch against Ariane, like that counts for something and with maverick um you know i like maverick um it's just that sometimes i sometimes i'm not quite sure about her progression right like she is a brown belt uh you know priscilla's a, a purple belt but i saw miranda out there on jujitsu scenes tapping out black belts which is pretty cool and that's definitely a path to victory here it's just that what if you know, Priscilla can survive some early spots. Like when Valentina fought uh, Priscilla, and I know it's one of the biggest beatdowns of all time, but for it to be one of the biggest beatdowns of all time, that means that Priscilla didn't give up early. That means that Priscilla was able to really take it for a long time. And I know that Miranda can't dish out that kind of damage. So what I'm trying to say is that Priscilla can go through some shit and then second round, third round, come back and discourage opponents and possibly get them out of there so i'm not writing off for possibilities i want zero part in laying that chalk on maverick even last uh, fight i picked jazz davicius but jazz davicius fights nothing like cachoeira at all so um like i don't expect a bunch of takedowns from cachoeira i just expect cachoeira to get taken down and if she can get back up i expect her to land some really hard shots on maverick how does maverick respond to that and can maverick hold down cachoeira so I don't really know. I guess pure pick, I'll go Maverick, but like it's not going to surprise me one bit if Priscilla overcomes some early adversity and and puts the hands on this girl. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you have to favor Maverick. Um, the good news is even against Jazz and Vicious, she was still attempting takedowns. Obviously, it didn't work out. The coaches were telling her, please do not grapple, and she would go out there and grapple. But she's attempt she attempted three takedowns in that fight, and she averages more than two takedowns for 15 minutes. Catch aware doesn't defend takedowns well. You probably got to project Maverick for two to three takedowns over 15 minutes in this fight. That's probably enough to control Catchware enough. There, she'll have advanced potential um, submission upside. I mean, and she's dominated girls on the ground recently too. Shawnee Young, Sabina Mazo. So Maverick has performed well in spots where she's needed to grapple recently. And, you know, I think she's a deserving favorite. I do, I do like if this, it like if grappling didn't exist, like would you guys favor Maverick outright on the feet? Because no. I I kind of think Cachoeira would beat her. I mean, the numbers don't project like play out that way exactly. Maverick has much better metrics, but Maverick doesn't throw strikes at a very high rate at distance. She doesn't do well with pressure. She slows down a little bit, and I I kind of feel like the optics and the the effectiveness favor Cachoeira. So it, it's possible that this is actually like a binary matchup in striker versus grappler, in which case. In which case, Cashware is very, very live. Yes, sir. All right. Well, gentlemen, we did it. We broke down this whole card. And uh, normally we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, but I know we all got to get out of here. So uh, firstly, to the fans, thank you all so much for tuning in. Please support the channel by hitting the like and the subscribe buttons. And when this is over, leave me a comment. You can follow Brett at Brett Apley. Double T, double P. Also, make sure y'all check him out at dailyfanmma.com. Um, I truly believe he's got the best DraftKings content on planet Earth, so definitely check that out. And Tim, um, check him out at Timmy's, Tim Z, Timmy Z. We're going we're, we're gonna to get him to change it to Technical Tim. He's got the Tim and Gugabe podcast, which is awesome. I also know he's working with Brett Apley, so I know go to their uh, Twitters and you will see all their links for that there and uh yeah subscribe to half the battle everywhere podcasts are found sincerely appreciate you guys very much and until the next time let's cash these bets